What's going on, Life Church? Ryan said you guys would do the wave. Thank you. The two ladies in the back, they almost did it. That's awesome. I just appreciate that I'm trusted simply because I know Aaron and Ryan. That's big time. I've made it places. Namely right here. That's awesome. Uh, excited to be here hanging out with you guys. I believe we have a picture of my family. Just want to introduce them to you. Uh, it's like the obligatory speaker thing. You need to know that I'm a real human. Uh, I have human interaction outside of uh, these types of spaces. This is my family. My wife, Mary. Uh, my uh, oldest right here on the, well, my left, your right, is uh, Lucas, then Audrey, Judah, and Jacob. Uh, we party all the time with four kids. Anybody else in here? Four or more kids? Yeah? Just having great times everywhere you go. You know, it's a life decision to go out to eat, right? You know, we're going to go hang out. We're going to take over some space. We're going to spend a lot of money. Uh, some food will be eaten and we'll leave in some sort of shame about uh, the condition that we left our eating area in. It's fantastic experiences, right? And, uh, and I love my family. I love being with them. So you guys know a little bit about me. Uh, uh, like Dylan mentioned, uh, I've been involved in the district. I've been a pastor in the district at a, at a church for about 10 years. Uh, recently, uh, my family and I, we moved about four and a half hours away. Uh, stepped out of full-time ministry. It's what I've been doing since I was 18 years old. Uh, I'm now 35. Some people think I'm 12. I am 35. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not in high school anymore, guys, I promise. Uh, but uh, I'm 35 years old. I've been doing it since I was 17 years old. Uh, we had this thing happen in our lives, this moment where we felt like God birthed a dream in our heart uh, and laid out some steps for us to follow. Uh, and we've been chasing that down, which meant leaving everything we were comfortable with, everything that was normal for us, everything that was just easy and the flow of life was just th this pattern that we had down and could do it in our sleep. Uh, and so we've been kind of on this journey. And some of the stuff I'm going to be sharing with you tonight uh, really hinges on that. It hinges on this experience uh, that we've had and that we've been going through. I'm not going to tell you a lot of details about it, but I'm just going to share with you some of the things that God's been speaking to my heart uh, through the process. Now, this is the reality that I understand uh, that some of you who have walked into the room tonight have come in uh, not as followers of Christ, that you were uh, a little, a little, uh, uh, a little sleepy, had a little too much tryptophan in your system, and someone convinced you to show up to church tonight, convinced you to come with, or they promised you additional meals afterwards, or uh, maybe you just heard about Life Church and decided to walk in the doors and find out uh, what it's all about. What I want you to know is this tonight. I'm primarily speaking to people who have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, but I believe this. I believe that what I have to say uh, about what God says will apply to your life, that you'll find value in it, you'll find opportunity to connect with it, uh, places where it meshes with who you are, and you may even find yourself in a position where God's speaking to your heart. But even more than that, if you say, I don't care about any of those things, this is why I think you should pay attention. Because Christ followers like me need people like you to hold me accountable to what Jesus says I should be. If I'm going to be a follower of Christ, I need the world to know what following Jesus means so they can hold me accountable to it, so they can call me out on it, and they can push me to be a better follower of Christ. And so you might not have walked in with that mentality or that attitude, but you have the potential to help the people in this place be better followers of Christ. Now, before we dive into the, to even the, the content, really, of the message, uh, to give you even more insight into who I am as a human being, I'm a dysfunctional person. Any other dysfunctional people? in the house tonight, right? That's good, I'm amongst my people. I instantly feel more comfortable, it's good. Uh, this is what I mean by dysfunction, right? 
Uh, when something's functional, it's doing exactly what it should be doing. And so to be dysfunctional means you're not doing what you should be doing. Now, the biggest problem that I have with my personal dysfunction is that I find myself not doing things that I know I should be doing. Anybody else, right? I know I should do that thing, but then I get in my head and I overcomplicate it. Anybody? You begin to add things to the details. You begin to try and navigate or wiggle your way through things. You begin to assign meaning to things that may or may not have happened. And the next thing you know, maybe the opportunity has passed and you're just sitting there still trying to figure out what's happening. Or the opportunity was staring you right in your face and you didn't grab a hold of it because you kind of talked yourself out of it or, or you talked yourself into something different. Uh, well, I find this, find this happens in my life. Namely, uh, a prime example would be uh, my wife uh, recently had a birthday. And what's weird about the life that we live in, in this world is that we're so connected on social media, right? Anybody else ever felt the pressure on social media to like create a long-winded post about a life event that in your mind you think nobody else really cares? You know what I mean? Like, I know I have to write this to satisfy the social expectations and norms of the world that I live in. So I'm sitting there at my desk at work, it's my wife's birthday, and I start typing out this thing, right? This really long, and my wife is, right, she's mother of four kids, she's wonderful, she's amazing, she does all these incredible things. And, and I'm sitting there typing this whole thing out, and in the middle of typing out this, this soliloquy, if you will, uh, about my wife, yeah, I don't know. I just that word came to mind, so I used it. Aaron, it's good. Um, I'm writing out this. 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 It's an incredible. It's. It's a. It's a. It's a masterpiece of the English language. Writing out uh, this. This thing about my wife and how awesome she is and how wonderful she is. In the middle of it, I have this tension just enters into my life, of like, the only reason I'm doing this right now is to satisfy you people, and I refuse to be controlled by you. Anybody? No? <laughs> like I'm sitting at my desk getting mad that I even just spent the time typing on Facebook this thing and it's all about you because I won't be controlled by you. So what did I do? I deleted it. And I felt justified in deleting it and I moved on with my day. Now here's the problem. I've been married for 10 years. I've been married long enough to know that there absolutely is a point system. Long enough to know that points needed to get what I want at the end of the day, that's a moving scale. Points needed change. It's variable. Every day it could be a different number of points needed, right? So really, the smartest strategy as a husband is to accumulate as many points as I can possibly have because I never know how many I'm going to need, right? <laughs> so I'm not stupid. I'm not new to the game, but I deleted it and I forfeited the points because I'm dysfunctional, because in my head, instead of making it about her, I made it about you people and not wanting to be controlled by you. And the worst part about the entire experience, right, is that in the end, who was I controlled by? You people and my perception of your control over my life. And so now I'm acting in accordance with maybe what you do or do not think. I don't even know. And I've now done this thing in my head where I forfeited doing something I knew I should do because my wife deserves to be celebrated publicly and privately. She deserves to have a big deal made out of who she is and what she's done and all the work that she does. But I didn't do it because of my perception of what was happening out here. What I want to talk to you about today 
is this phrase, this obedience over acceptance. Obedience over acceptance. Because as Christ followers, we're called into an obedience that Jesus is calling each and every one of us as individual Christ followers to do something. And if you're like me, at times I have this internal tension that rises up. I would call it the Holy Spirit, birthing conviction in my heart, creating this leading, this awareness, this knowing that I should be doing this thing. And sometimes it's as small as I should have this conversation with this person. Sometimes it's as big as I should leave everything that I'm comfortable with and move my whole family uh, way outside of our comfort zone into something we never thought we'd be doing. It could, it could, it could fall on a wide range of things, but the Holy Spirit begins to birth this conviction, this awareness inside of our spirit that leads us into, I should do this thing. And our life is supposed to be, be defined by our willingness to be obedient to that leading, not our concern over the acceptance of other people in the world around us and how it might fit various people's perception of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah? Obedience over acceptance. Now, if you are a Christ follower, and this is why I say this, because if you have been a Christ follower for any period of time, likely you have prayed the prayer that Jesus laid out for his followers, right? Our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, what? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that prayer? It's an invitation for our heavenly Father and his kingdom to invade my kingdom. What do I mean by that? His control to invade the space where I think I have control and to take over and begin to dictate what will happen next. That's what that prayer is. When I say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's an invitation for him to take over my kingdom. And so if you've prayed that prayer, my guess would be that at some point you've experienced that tension. Now, whether you did anything with it or not, I don't know. I've had moments in my life where I felt that tension. I've known what I should do, and I backed away from it. But what I also know is that there's been incredible times in my life where I've found the courage to step into what God is calling me to do, what God is laying out in front of me, and I've always found that there's an incredible blessing on the other side of it. I believe this to be true, that the vast majority of your regrets and my regrets in this life will not be centered around what we did, but what we didn't do when we knew we should. And so I want to talk to you about tonight is this journey that I went on, uh, walking through a passage of scripture in Luke. Many of you are, are very, very familiar with this passage of scripture. It's an incredible lead into the Christmas season. I hear there's some pretty awesome things happening here at Life Church. ways that you're going to bless your community, ways that God's going to use your church to reach lost people. Many of you know this already, but in the Christmas season, this is the easiest time to invite people to church because people are more open to an invitation to come and experience, to taste and see that the Lord is good in a space like this than really at any other time of the year. And so we're stepping into a season where we have an awesome opportunity to impact uh, the, the community of Germantown, the communities of Appleton, uh, downtown Milwaukee, uh, at Life Center, and through various outreach opportunities. We have incredible opportunity to step into uh, what God is calling us to do. It, it, making that invitation, saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in, as it is in heaven, and seeing what God speaks to us. And so what I want to do is I want to walk you through uh, some of the things that God spoke to me. I'm not telling this to you because I'm so smart or so brilliant. I'm telling it to you from a position of 
I was recently in a spot where I felt an incredible amount of internal tension, unsure of what I was to do next. I read through this passage of scripture in Luke uh, 1, verses 26 through 38. I read through it, and as I read through it, I felt like God spoke some things to me. But this is what I believe, that the same Holy Spirit that put these words in this book and the same Holy Spirit that highlighted these words in my heart for me to, uh, to understand, to learn, and to grow, and to take these steps is the same Holy Spirit that is in you. The same Holy Spirit that, that, that used this to, to, to motivate me and to give me the courage to step into what God was calling me to can use these words to give you that same kind of courage. And so today, no matter where you're at or where you're from, no matter where you're at in your season of life, uh, whether you're a parent uh, or you're a child, whether you're uh, married or you're unmarried, whether you're working or you're unemployed, no matter where you're at, it, whatever it is that you're doing, what I'm going to ask you to do is listen into this and just ask the question, God, what is it that you're calling me to do? What is it that you're laying out in front of me? What's the step I'm supposed to take? Uh, and we're going to dive into Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. Uh, in Luke 1, verse 26 to 38, it says this, Six months after Elizabeth knew she was to become a mother, Gabriel was sent from God to Nazareth. Nazareth was a town in the country of Galilee. He went to a woman who had never had a man. Her name was Mary. She was promised in marriage to a man named Joseph. Joseph was of the family of David. The angel came to her and said, You are honored very much. You are a favored woman. The Lord is with you. You are chosen from among many women. When she saw the angel, she was troubled at his words. She thought about what had been said. I'm not going to spend a lot of time building that up, but we understand that much of the beginning of that passage of Scripture is laying some, some context and some foundation for a location and experience, the type of person that the angel Gabriel was approaching. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when someone approaches me and they begin to compliment me, right? They tell me how awesome I am. You're so great. You're so wonderful. You're amazing. What's on the other side of that? My mind immediately starts to go, how much and how far are we moving? You know, like you need to borrow my truck. Is that where this is headed? Nobody else. I, all I want to know is are there stairs involved? How many other people have you recruited? You know, where do I fall on your list of human beings that you're trying to, to bring into this task? And as my mind started to flow down in that direction, what I realized was that most often we've experienced compliments in the form of manipulation. Many of us, have never really experienced someone speaking life into us about who we are and what's possible in us and through us for our own benefit, but it's because they want something from us. They want to take something from us. They want to use us to accomplish something. And so my mind, when I read that, when I see that, the first thought in my mind is, what do you want from me? And this angel is speaking this over her, not to take something from her, but to give something to her, but one of our, our major issues in life, I know my major issues in my life, is that I can never grab a hold of what God has called me to until I see myself the way that he sees me. As long as I view myself as just some kid from Nazareth, an average human being who's called to live an average, ordinary life, I'll never grab hold of the opportunity in front of me because I don't think I'm good enough for it. I don't think I have any value to add to it. This is just a normal teenage girl hanging out in a normal Jewish town doing normal teenage girl things. There's nothing unique or special about her from the outside looking in. You couldn't have perceived that she was honored and favored and chosen. 
But the angel shows up to her and it confuses her and throws her off her guard. Why? Because she's never heard anyone speak like that to her before. No one's ever called that kind of thing out of her before, but she can't grab a hold of what God is going to call her to until she understands the way that God sees her. And this is the reality. There's a value in you. There's a value in you and in me that needs to be redeemed because the world around us needs what God has placed inside of us. And if we don't shift our thinking about who we are, if we don't begin to shift into a place where we understand that we're favored, we're honored, and we're chosen simply because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, we'll shy away from what God is laying out right in front of us. Because we'll place our focus in the wrong position. We'll begin to focus on ourselves. And when God says, here's this thing that I need you to do, I need you to go have this conversation with this person. We'll go, but God, I can't have a conversation with that person. When God says, hey, you know, I'm calling you to step in to serve with Life Church Youth because there's a generation that needs the story that you have. We'll go, God, but, you know, I don't really think that my story could impact a kid's life. When the church, like Life Church, when they do a miracle offering, you go, man, but my contribution won't really make a difference in the grand scheme of things. And what we have to understand, it was never really about the way that we perceive ourselves in the first place. It's never really been about how good you are. It's always been about how good he is. And if we become a vessel that says, okay, God, here I am. I'll, I'll be used by you. God can take whatever you bring to, the, to bring to the table and he can multiply it. And he can cause it to meet the need. He just wants to work through you. But we'll never even step into it until we begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us. The angel said to her, Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. I want you to think about that for a second. You have found favor with God. That word found is even a little, uh, throws us a little bit off. When you begin to look at it in, in more of an original language, when we say found, it's more like I lost my keys, I looked for them, and then I found them because I was searching for it. Mary wasn't looking for anything. She was standing still, and favor found her. It was like she stumbled into it. Any of you ever felt like you stumbled into your relationship with Christ? You weren't even 100% sure what you were looking for, but all of a sudden it showed up and rocked your world? She didn't, she didn't find it. She didn't go out searching. Some of us have gone out and we've searched and we found, but she was just standing still in favor, found her. What does that word mean? It's garis. It means the goodwill, loving kindness, and favor of God. I want you to listen to this definition. When it says she's found favor with God, it means of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues. What is he saying to her? He's saying, Mary, you're troubled because your view is that you need to be the one to do something. But what you don't understand is that my favor has been poured out on you. My mercy is going to cover your past and my grace is going to prepare your future. And I'm going to kindle things inside of you and stir up what you need in every moment along the journey. I, God, am the one who am going to provide for you to accomplish the thing I'm laying out in front of you. But as long as our eyes are locked on on our ability to accomplish what God is laying out, what do we do? We get scared. We overcomplicate. We assign too much meaning to things that may or may not be. 
we talk our way out of it. We convince ourselves we don't have much to add, but he's trying to flip the way that she sees herself. Think about this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. What does it say? For God made Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become, not have or possess, or simply walk in the righteousness of God, but that we might become the righteousness of God. That the righteousness of God would begin to define our lives because we earned it or deserve it? No. Because it's not about how good I am, it's about how good he is. And my perspective shifts off of my ability to accomplish and onto his ability to provide. And I just live in that space where I understand that wherever I go and in everything that I do, my hope is not that you would see me and my goodness. My hope is that you would see Christ in me and his goodness. That you would see the garis, the favor of God, his loving kindness, his mercy and grace, kindling Christian virtue inside of me. That he would get the credit and he would get the glory. Right? In verse 31 it says, See, you are to become a mother and have a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the place where his early father David sat. He will be king over the family of Jacob forever, and his nation will have no end. As I read that, that's really when that thought began to enter my mind. That God doesn't want to redefine the way that I see myself to take something from me or to use me to accomplish something. God wants to rewrite the way that I see myself because he wants to give something to me. Namely, what God wants to give me is the gospel. And he wants to use me as a vehicle to deliver the gospel into unexpected places at times, in unexpected moments, because the gospel is just in me, because I possess it, because it's been given to me as a gift. So whether I'm in my cubicle or I'm on the job site or I'm walking into a Starbucks, or I'm driving down the road. I'm living my life in a place where I'm aware that the the Son of God has been given to me, this gospel has been delivered to me, that I could be used by God to bring him glory and honor on the the earth. But one of the things that that we also have to understand in this is that kingdom building always costs us something, right? Mary was aware of this. What does she say next to him? She says to him, How will this happen? I've never had a man. The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will cover you. The holy child you give birth to will be called the Son of God. One of the things that I think at times, you know, I I appreciate the Christmas season, but sometimes we pass over portions of the story without understanding the gravity of what was happening in Mary's life, right? Uh, we get to the nativity scene and the birth and the three kings and sing Silent Night and go on and open Christmas presents and we just have a blast with that. But what we have to understand is what was the angel asking Mary to sacrifice? She was engaged as a young woman. She probably would have been like 13, 14 years old. She was engaged to a guy who was probably 16-ish years old. A pregnancy for her wasn't uh, culturally something that was celebrated by TV shows, right? What would it mean for her to get pregnant? It would mean being disowned by her family, left by her fiancé, and really put out on the street to fend for herself for the rest of her life. 
she was looking at this asking the question of, do you understand what you're asking me to do? Do you understand that this thing isn't physically possible because I haven't been with a man, and if I actually do this thing, do you know the ripple effect of what's going to take place in my life? Like, how is God going to use me if this costs me everything? If you take away the comfort, if you take away the stability, if you take away the support of my family and the people around me who love me, if you remove that, because she has no idea how Joseph is going to respond, right? She, she has no way to know that Joseph is going to be on board with the plan. So in her mind, it begins to race down this road of, do you understand what this is about to cost me? And it's usually at this point where myself and most of us, what do we do? We trade in God's will for our comfort. We trade in whatever it is that God is calling us to do so that we can stay wherever it is that we're most comfortable. God, I know you're calling me to give on this level, but that means I would have to give up these things. I'm most comfortable here. God, maybe a little bit less. Maybe I'll, I'll trim that down. Maybe I'll, I'll begin to use this logic and reason. And God gave us logic and reason. I'm not arguing against it. I'm just saying sometimes God calls us to do things that violate logic and reason. Have you ever processed this thought before as a Christ follower? I think about this sometimes, right? As a Christ follower, what do I pray for? What do I want to see happen? What do we pray for? Miracles, right? We pray for the miraculous. You ever process this thought before, how funny it is the way that we function as human beings, even as Christ followers in this place? You ever, anybody here ever pray for a miracle? Anybody ever pray for a miracle? Okay, so we have miracle-believing Christ followers in the room. By definition, what is a miracle? A miracle is something that happens outside of natural order. It means a miracle is not something that we can manufacture. A miracle is something that cannot happen inside of natural order. Right? But then what happens? We pray for the miraculous. Something comes along that doesn't fit natural order and doesn't make logical sense. And what do we do? We reject it. Because it doesn't fit the natural order of our expectations and how it would work and how everything would flow. See, there's, an, there's just an understanding here that if we want to be a part of building God's kingdom, if we want to see his kingdom come to the earth, if we want to see his kingdom grow on the earth, if we want to be a part of the group that's building God's kingdom through the church and in the community, it's going to cost us something. And as Christ followers, we're called to live for obedience, not acceptance. One of my issues, I don't know if you, again, if you're like me and I've experienced this in ministry, but a lot of times we defer our yes. Anybody ever deferred a yes before? I promise you there are people in this room that God has stirred a tension, a conviction in your heart and said, you know what we need as a church? I want you to start a ministry for widows. I want you to start a ministry for men who are coming out of prison. I want you to start uh, a ministry for, uh, for, for foster kids. I want you to start a ministry uh, for the homeless. And more often than not, what we do culturally as Christians is we go over to Pastor Aaron and we say, hey, Pastor Aaron, you know what the church needs? Ministry for widows. Bet you hadn't thought of that. See you later. <laughs> I did my job. All God, all God called me to do was be a messenger and let Pastor Aaron know something. Obviously, God could not have told him himself, right? That'd just be way out of line. No, this is the thing. God begins to birth that thing inside of you because you're supposed to be a part of making that thing happen. 
because you are equally as qualified. And this isn't a dig on Pastor Aaron. He's an incredible leader, right? But you are equally as qualified to be used by God to minister to people exactly where they're at. Pastor Aaron doesn't have a golden touch. Just because he shows up doesn't mean it's all going to work. You know who has to show up? God. You know who God chooses to work through? You. And we're obe- when we are obediently yes to what God is laying out in front of us, he provides for us in that moment. Let's check this out for a moment. Let's, let's take a look at the way that Mary responds to this invitation to sacrifice everything in her life for something that's not even totally clear how it's all going to work. All he said is, hey, listen, by the way, you're going to get pregnant. You know, it's going to be a great time. Don't worry about what everybody says. He's going to rule the world. Okay? Have a great day. And she's responding to that kind of an invitation. Listen to this. The angel responds to her and says, See, your cousin Elizabeth, as old as she is, is going to give birth to a child. She was not able to, outside of natural order, she was not able to have children before, but now she is in her sixth month. For God can do all things. Shifting her perspective. Mary, stop thinking about whether or not you can do it and stop thinking about if God can do it through you. Can God do this thing? My confident yes to what God puts in front of me flows from the the reality that my obedience is to a God who loves me. Let me ask you this. And this is a dangerous question because I don't know where everybody comes from, but there are people in my life that I know and I love that if they looked at me and they said, Connor, I need you to run through that wall. If you, I know it sounds ridiculous, but if you run through that wall, someone's life is going to be transformed for Christ. Can you do that for me? My response to them would be yes. Why? Because I trust their character and I trust their motive. I know who they are and I know they wouldn't ask it from me if it wasn't true. And so without having to think a lot about it, I would just go do it. Anybody ever have anybody like that in your life? You just trust them. You trust their motive. You trust their character. You know who they are. And if they're asking something from you, you know it's good. And you know there's something good on the other side of it. Anybody? Well, a handful of you. You need better people in your life. Okay? Maybe you need to get in a life group. (laughs) Maybe join a team. (laughs) And get around some better people, right? Now, if you want to, well, never mind. You can come to me and ask me to do that later, but you're just going to find out you don't fall that far up on the totem pole of people that Connor trusts and likes in my life. But this is the thing, right? When God lays it out in front of us, we can be obedient to it because we trust what? His motive. We trust his character. That whatever it is, if, if I pray that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that whatever follows after that, whatever God leads me into after that prayer is going to be driven by God's character and his motive. His character is what? That he is good. He is the author of goodness. There's no good outside of who he is. That he's the one who gets to define what good means. Have you ever thought about this? And this is not a little bit off topic, but whatever, is that in Genesis, right, when it goes through, what's the word used to describe everything that God created as he created it? It was good. So not like good like ketchup, not good like the Green Bay Packers were at one point, not good like, sorry, um, not good like the Milwaukee Bucks might be this year, maybe. Um, his good, when he used that phrase, what did it mean? 
I made this in perfection. It's exactly as it's supposed to be. So we can trust his character because he's good. He's exactly as he's supposed to be. And whatever he asks me is going to bring about that reality on the earth. And I can trust, right? I can trust his motive, that his motive is going to be driven by building his kingdom on the earth. To see someone's life transformed and reconciled back to him. Whatever he's asking me to do is going to be about reconciliation because that's the heart of the gospel. So my confident yes to what God has put in front of me flows from the reality that obedience is my part and the outcome is his part. Then Mary said, and this is the best part, and if this doesn't mess you up, you're not praying that prayer hard enough or sincere enough. Then Mary said, I am willing to be used of the Lord. Let it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel went away from her. As I read that, God began to stir this thing in my heart. This thing I had never thought about before, and maybe you've thought about it. But Mary's obedient yes made Jesus' obedient yes possible. That what Gabriel was speaking to her about was Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the establishment of the kingdom that we are working for to this day. Her yes made his yes possible. And why it stirred in, inside of me is because I needed to ask myself that question. Connor, what yes will be made possible by your yes to what I'm laying out in front of you? And really, that's the question I want to pose to you. We prayed this prayer. We've invited his kingdom to come. What is it that God is stirring inside of you? And have you stopped long enough to consider what yes will be made possible by your obedient yes to what God is putting in front of you in this season? It could look a thousand different ways. It might be an invitation to a neighbor to come to church at Christmas time. It might be showing up down at Life Center and serving on a weekend. It might be sharing the gospel, your personal story, with somebody at work. It might be engaging in this miracle offering that's coming, where the dollars are gonna be used to impact people's lives and introduce them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe you've been in this season and you've been wrestling with, should I, should I not? How will this work? I'm not sure. Does it fit? Does it make natural sense? Does it fit the order of how I thought things might work? And there's another thing that God began to stir inside of me, and you have to forgive the mechanics of it. But I want you to understand this. All of us as Christ followers are pregnant with the gospel. And the only way that the gospel in us impacts the world around us is if it comes out of us. And the gospel comes out of us in our obedient action. When we're obedient to what it is that God has laid out in front of us. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray over you and I'm going to pray over myself. And the worship team is going to come and we're going to enter, enter into a time of worship. I love wrapping services in this way because I believe that corporate worship, gathering together to sing these songs together, stirs courage, courage in us to be personally obedient in our lives. 
That's why we gather in this space, right? We're gonna spur one another on to love and good works. Because sometimes obedience is scary and it's intimidating. So we're gonna sing this song. And as we're singing this song, I want you to ask that honest question, God, what is it you're calling me to do in this season? Am I supposed to join a team? Am I supposed to lead a group? Am I supposed to volunteer at the Life Center? Am I supposed to do some outreach in my own neighborhood, share the gospel with family and friends? What am I supposed to give in this offering? What is it you're calling me to do in this season? And then what I'm gonna ask you to do, strongly encourage, is that before you leave here tonight, you find one person, you find one person at least, and you tell them what that thing is. I know God's calling me to do this thing because we can create accountability with one another and encouragement. And we say, man, that's awesome. I can't wait to see you do that thing. I can't wait to hear how it goes. I can't wait to see that person you're inviting. Can't wait to see how your story impacts the kids in Life Church Kids and Life Church Youth and create space for people who need someone like you with your story to make it okay for them to share their story. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, this is the deal. We would love to have an opportunity to share the gospel with you. We'd love an, an opportunity just to sit down with you and chat with you. You can grab one of those connect cards and just write on there your name, your information, that you're uh, exploring faith. We'd love to have an opportunity to follow up with you. But I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. Obedience over acceptance. Biggest regrets in life. Not what we do, but what we don't do when we knew we should have done it. What is it that God's calling you to do in this season at this time? Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the way that you love us and for your goodness to us. And we thank you for that scripture that reminds us so clearly that while we were still sinners, Christ, you died for us. That you took our sin and our shame and you handed us your righteousness. And in handing us your righteousness, you actually invited us into being a part of this incredible kingdom that you're building. So we pray that collectively together, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We echo the prayer of Mary and we say, I, let it be done to me as you have said. I want to be used by you to reach lost people. And I pray over every single person in this room, I pray that you would give each and every one of us the courage to give an obedient yes to whatever it is that you're laying out in front of us. In your awesome and powerful name we pray, amen.